There's a lot going on in that clip. Um, and we could spend the rest of the time kind of uh, looking at people's responses and, um, you know, kind of all over the board. Uh, when I was watching this video during this week, I'm like, man, people are, are all over the place. There's folks that are responding positively to, yes, they believe the resurrection happened. Um, and then I hear their reason for it, and I, I'm glad it works for them. Um, it, I wouldn't necessarily find that um, convincing there. Um, others that are uh, just really struggling with that, others that maybe they believe in it, but how does it get implemented? Um, how does it impact their life? Uh, others that just see it among uh, the rest of the stories of different faith traditions, um, as though they all tell one story. Um, so there's a lot of places that we could uh, look at this morning. Um, we are talking about the resurrection. I'll say, uh, for me, one of the biggest evidences of the resurrection um, that, that convinces me, that works on me, that, that, that I just feel uh, so drawn to and compelled by, is the response of the followers of Jesus immediately following the resurrection. If you think back to that story, to that resurrection, first resurrection Sunday, let's be honest here. Um, some of the women that were following Jesus were super brave. I mean, they are gathered around the feet of Jesus as he dies on the cross. They're right there. Um, John's kind of the one standout apostle who's still with the women at the feet of Jesus. Um, but it's the women who are brave enough on Sunday morning to... Uh, not exactly have a plan for how they're going to confront the, the, the guards and roll the, the stone away, but they are willing to step out to, to come and to anoint the body, to carry out the traditions. The, again, let's be honest, most of the men are away, hiding, running, uh, not sure what all this means. And yet when they hear the, the good news, when they hear the story of the resurrection, when the women uh, put themselves out there, risk being further ostracized and further kind of, you know, well, it's a woman's word and we can't, we can't really trust that, which is what they would have thought in, in their world. They respond, they check it out for themselves, and something happens. Something changes, something flips inside them. Suddenly they're out in the streets preaching about the resurrected Messiah. We see the apostles healing and, and confronting the powers that be. They're getting thrown in jail. They're being beaten and persecuted. Uh, the disciples all end up being martyred or dying in prison. And I just can't imagine a scenario where everything flips that suddenly that doesn't involve something monumental happening, that doesn't involve them experiencing something profound, something earth-shattering, something that is, is just changing the way they, they see the world. Some continue to claim that the resurrection was a hoax or something that a group of people developed to, to gain power or influence. Uh, but I think that's a very strange claim given what the disciples teach and how they live. 
have a hard time believing these fishermen and tax collectors and this ragtag group of followers would willingly give up their lives for a hoax. Paul points out that it wasn't just the twelve. There were also the brave women. There were hundreds of others who witnessed the resurrected Jesus, who saw Him, who, who ate with Him, who interacted with Him following the resurrection. So we're going to look a little bit further this morning at how uh, Paul is talking about the resurrection, why he's talking about it to this group of of Corinthian believers, and and, and maybe how we need to look at at the resurrection and and the gospel story in our day. And so as we come to that uh, text this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this resurrection story, for this resurrection truth, for the event, for what it continues to mean for us, for the world. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We've touched a little bit in the last couple of weeks about who Paul is writing to. He's writing to this group of Corinthian believers uh, that he had kind of helped form this this church, form this group of believers in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a trading port in in the Roman world, heavily influenced by the Greek and Roman world, by Greek philosophy, by their their high philosophical thinkers. And although Paul had helped to birth the church in Corinth, many of these uh, philosophical Greek types are ready to move beyond Paul's uh, lowbrow resurrection belief. They've kind of dealt with him talking about this resurrection, but it doesn't fit into their philosophy. It doesn't fit into their thinking. Um, It's possible that the Greeks in, in, in Corinth, when they heard the word resurrection, right, they didn't kind of have what we have in mind of Jesus coming, uh, maybe more accurate or, or more to get it into our minds, it would be like somebody coming and talking about a, the zombie apocalypse. The zombies are coming back. This is resurrection in the Greek mind. And so for somebody to come and claim that the Messiah, the Lord of the universe, is walking dead just be, the Greeks would have been laughing. What do you mean? We know this doesn't happen. And so they may have spiritualized what the resurrection meant. And so Paul is having to defend the physical resurrection of Jesus as he reminds them of the gospel he gospeled. And so he lays out his argument in verse 12 Paul is basically saying, how can some of the Corinthians, how can some of you here say there is no resurrection? There must be a resurrection because we've seen it already in Jesus. The women have have testified. Uh, The the apostles have seen the empty tomb. Thomas has has touched his hands, has has seen him. Some of of these believers uh, ate with him. They saw him appearing in in the room suddenly. And Paul himself has had some miraculous experience with the resurrected and ascended Jesus 
that transformed his own life. He says, if there's no resurrection, then Christ himself hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is for nothing and your faith is for nothing. It's interesting reading those, knowing that I'm preparing a sermon. And to think, am I getting up here week after week for nothing? Am I living this way, following Jesus as best I can, all for nothing? Paul amplifies it then. If that's the case, if this is all for nothing, then we're, then we're misrepresenting God, then we're telling lies about who God is because we're proclaiming the resurrection. And if this isn't true, we're, we're lying about what God is doing. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is for nothing and you're still stuck with your sin problem. You're still stuck with your death problem if the resurrection is not true. Moreover, those who have died in Christ are dead and gone, end of story, and death still reigns. So I wonder why Paul places so much emphasis here on the resurrection. He's saying without physical resurrection, without an empty tomb, Jesus is still dead. Without Jesus' resurrection, sin and death actually still are reigning. Death, death still has the final say if the resurrection hasn't come true. If Jesus isn't walking, if the tomb is, is not empty, death still has the final say. Without resurrection... No, oh, sorry. Without uh, sin and death being removed... Death is the end game for all of us. And without resurrection, our preaching, our faith is pointless. Why did some of the Corinthians continue to, to struggle with resurrection? And I also wonder what they found um, compelling or attractive in Paul's faith, in, in, in Christian belief, if they couldn't go along with the resurrection. I think because of the influence of Greek philosophy, some of the Corinthians may have thought of resurrection along the lines of, like I said, a bad zombie movie. Gross and, and not all something to be desired. So they may have been talking about resurrection in a spiritual sense that Jesus is resurrected or, or brought back to life when we live out the ethics of Jesus. And this is what it means for Jesus to be resurrected. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I mean, yes, that, I mean, part of that's true, but there's an empty tomb. There, there's a physical resurrection. Jesus is alive. So maybe they were attracted to just to the teachings of Jesus, to the ethics of Jesus. And that's good. That's important. That's a part of the gospel story. But the story of Jesus, the good news, is all wrapped up together. I started wondering this week, looking at this, how um, have different parts of the gospel story been emphasized over the years in different contexts, different 
groups at different times in church history have, have emphasized different parts of the whole gospel story. Some emphasize the teachings of Jesus. In fact, even without um, or within our culture today, there seems to be a connection from some people to the teachings of Jesus, whether that's uh, peace and nonviolence, care for the sick and the poor. And sometimes people tend to emphasize the ethical teachings of Jesus and neglect all the dimensions of Jesus' teaching on repentance and forgiveness. Jesus' ethical teachings are super important, they're critical. As we learn what it means to follow Jesus, as we learn what it means to live in a new way. But it's all tied into the whole. Some have emphasized the cross. Everything hangs on the cross, figuratively and uh, actually. Once I was at a youth retreat and the speaker, um, it was a Church of the Brethren retreat, and uh, the speaker was from outside of the Church of the Brethren. Sometimes we allow that to happen. Um, And he was emphasizing the role of the cross in the gospel story and what it means for our faith and our lives. And it it was just, it was really good. The way he was was talking and the way he was connecting uh, with, with our youth. And I was talking to him in between sessions, and I just said, you know, thank you for what you're sharing. Um, this is really important stuff. And he, and he was kind of surprised for a moment. He said, well, one of the other leaders grabbed me and, and kind of chastised me and said, we don't talk about the crucifixion here. We just focus on the resurrection. But it's all a part of the story. I'm also reminded of some of my um, Roman Catholic friends, brothers and sisters, who often have a crucifix in the front of the sanctuary. We're more likely to have an empty cross and to highlight that the cross is no longer there. They might be a little bit more um, apt to emphasize what Jesus' death on the cross means. They're, They're both true. Jesus died in the place of sinners according to Scripture. Something happens on the cross, and yet the cross is now empty. The tomb is now empty. And so they're both emphasizing parts of the story. Over the years, I've grown to appreciate and take time to sit with the darkness of Good Friday. And sometimes to say, to sit with the darkness of Good Friday, some of us are like, no, 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 we just, we want to skip to the light. Let's get to Resurrection Sunday. He is risen, He is risen indeed. I don't want to deal with what happens on Friday. But it's all part of the story. You can't have the resurrection without the crucifixion. And yet some seem to even stop at the resurrection or leave out the resurrection. Sometimes I think of uh, some of the uh, evangelism pamphlets of the 20th century which featured uh, the cross as the bridge over the impassable chasm between humanity and God and we told people that Jesus died for their sins. And that is absolutely true. Absolutely part of the story. It's just not the end of the story. Missing part of the good news, the resurrection. So sometimes we tend to emphasize one part over another, 
There's times where that's needed. Sometimes we need to tell a different part of the story. Just remember that there's a full story. I'm uh, old enough to remember Paul Harvey, you know, giving us the rest of the story, right? Youth, well, Paul Harvey, you can ask your, ask your parents. So let me ask you, which part of the story impacts you the most? Which part of the Jesus story, the, the good news story, are you most drawn to? It's okay, you don't have to say the whole thing. You can say it. The crucifixion. And can I ask real quick why? All the, the suffering and pain that, that Jesus, that God puts himself through to take our place. Yeah. What else? What other parts of the. Yeah, just yell it out. The empty tomb. The resurrection. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And in some way, the answer is yes for all of us. The ripping of the veil in the temple. We we don't often include that in the gospel, like when we kind of try and give the short summary version, but that ripping of the veil in the temple, that's an important occurrence and an image that this division between the holy of holies and the space that we're allowed to dwell. God's presence is moving out. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, I also love the Teachings of Jesus, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, that, man, I, I, I know that one guy in the video says, you know, all, all the faiths are trying to teach the same thing, and there's different versions of, you know, uh, other people trying to give one part of the Sermon on the Mount or the other, but, man, the way Jesus lays this out and, and the way we're called to, to love those around us, love our enemies, uh, I saw someone posted uh, the other day, you know, um, I want to follow Jesus, I want to li- love Jesus, but I also want to slap some people. <laughs> and at first, I, I saw that and, you know, kind of laughed to myself. I thought, man, it's really hard to, to do that when you're turning the other cheek. But it's true. I wonder too, is there a particular part of the gospel story which needs to be highlighted in our time? The video was addressing the question of the the resurrection. 
other periods in history have questioned the crucifixion of Jesus or of God. Uh, some different times people have thought that He only appeared to die because true God could not die, so He only appeared to die. And so different times uh, we've needed to stress or, or uh, bring out, highlight different parts of the story. But we believe Christ has risen. And so we hope and believe that our faith is not in vain. If you thought it was in vain, I wonder if you would actually be here this morning. If you thought it was all for nothing. If Christ has risen from the dead, and if Christ is the first fruit of all who will be raised from the dead, and if we believe that our faith is actually not in vain, then I wonder why sometimes we live and act as though Christ is still in the tomb. What I mean by that is we, we often rely on other things other support, other power systems, other structures, other relationships. We tend, at least I tend, to hedge my bet, I think. I say I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but I don't always follow the way of Jesus. I work at my own agenda, my own kingdom, and I can get all kinds of worked up on little stuff and not trust in the resurrecting, new life-bringing power of God. Paul seems to be saying that if Jesus has not been raised, then following the way of Christ is for nothing. In fact, he says to be pitied. Self-sacrificial love, the way of victory through death, self-denial to follow Jesus, all for nothing. But Paul says that if the resurrection isn't true, and Jesus hasn't come back to life, then we're telling lies about God. So I say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus and the ultimate resurrection of creation but I have my own share of lies and untruths that I tell about God. Or maybe lies and untruths that I live. Not trusting that God is doing a new thing in my life, in this world, in our congregation, and in our community. You know, at the start of this message... <clears throat> I gave one of the things that has convinced me of the truth of the resurrection, uh, the response of those first followers of Jesus, the courageous women, the, the apostles who suddenly find a great boldness because of what they've experienced, what they've seen, and the faith of the early church to suffer persecution because of a truth they know deep in their being. Here's the other reason I believe in the resurrection. Both because of what it did and because of what it continues to do. God continuing to bring the body of Christ back to life. Jesus as the first fruits, the first part, the first taste of the fulfilled reign of God. In the resurrection of Jesus, we get to see a glimpse to have a longing 
for everything to be filled with new life. But also seeing how God breathes new life into Peter. How God radically transforms Paul's life. How in the darkest days of the Roman Empire, when Christians were being fed to lions and beheaded, happy Valentine's Day, go look it up, St. Valentine. The power of God was breathing life into the church again and again. How down through the centuries, though parts of the church told great lies about who God is and how God operates, a faithful church kept finding new life in groups of people committing to the whole gospel story. And how God continues to exercise God's resurrecting power in the lives of individuals today. In the, in the body of believers who commit to the life, teaching, death, resurrection, ascension, return, and reign of Christ. We are invited to be a part of this resurrecting good news story. We believe Jesus did die. That Jesus was raised again. That sin and death no longer have final say. It's not the end of the story. We believe and hope for resurrection for all who fall asleep or die in Christ. We also believe God is resurrecting and sanctifying. Breathing new life. We believe... A new day, a new cultural situation, new philosophies, new rumors of war and sickness all around us also present a new opportunity for the good news of Jesus to be proclaimed in word and deed. So this is our opportunity, this is our invitation to continue to proclaim the good news all around us. To see how God's resurrecting spirit continues to breathe new life into the people around us, into the situations around us. Death, sin, and brokenness do not have final say because of the resurrection. Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand. And turn in your blue hymnal to number 273. Lo, in the grave he lay. Another favorite Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday uh, hymn of mine. So would you stand? Again, number 273 in the blue hymnal or the words are on the screen as well.